Welcome to SGTV Podcast Interview Sessions. I'm Luke Baker. My first guest in the interview series is Dr. Bobby Donaldson, and he is the Associate Professor of History at the University of South Carolina and also the faculty principal at Preston Residential College. Uh, Thank you for joining me. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, First off, I wanted to ask... um, so what is your, your role in Preston? I know it's um, something unique that uh, many other the, you know, the dorms have around uh, University of South Carolina. Well, uh, first, I'm an associate professor of history. Uh, I've been on the faculty at the university for 15 years. Uh, five years ago, uh, I applied for a position called the faculty principal of Preston College. And Preston is the only residential college in the state of South Carolina and one of my important duties is actually to be a live-in faculty member. Um, so I live in a community of a nearly 230 undergraduate students. I serve as the primary academic advisor and leader of the community. Uh, I serve as a mentor, providing sort of counseling support. Uh, we provide resources for programming. Uh, I advise student organizations, um, support undergraduate research, um, support uh, programs related to community service, uh, leadership development, and also providing resources to support uh, study abroad and international travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did this opportunity arise? Was it um, something that somebody recommended for you to do, or was it um, something that you heard of before, or what was the whole process for that? Well, I've won, I've worn many hats at the uh, university. Um, this is my first full-time uh, academic appointment at USC. Uh, but before that, um, I was a resident advisor uh, for summer programs at Columbia University. I worked as a hall director uh, there for a number of years for a high school program called Upward Bound. Uh, I attended a small liberal arts college in Connecticut called Wesleyan University, uh, which had uh, 200, uh, about 2,700 undergraduates. So it was a very different type of institution uh, than USC. Uh, and so when I came here, uh, as a very young faculty member, you know, I was easily overwhelmed by the size and the the sort of urban space of the campus. Uh, and I was always eager to find ways um, to engage students at a different level, uh, particularly students who were not enrolled in my history courses. Um, and so uh, about three or four years into my time at, at the university, uh, I became what was called a, a faculty associate of Preston. And that is a program where faculty uh, volunteer their time um, and go to programming and events, but also attend dining with residents in Preston. And I was in that role for a few years uh, and also was on the strategic planning committee uh, for Preston. So I got to know it that way. Um, I was invited to be an associate by one of my colleagues who at the time was the faculty principal. And I developed a lot of important and long lasting relationships with students during that, um, that, that time frame. And then many years later, uh, I had gone off to a Harvard for a fellowship and return uh, back to the university uh, with a young family, and the position for faculty principal opened up. And uh, one of my former students I met here at Preston, who I dined with on a regular basis, he actually sent my name in uh, as a recommendation, uh, and the provost committee uh, asked me to apply, and I did. Uh, it has been really exhilarating, probably because what I enjoy most is being a teacher, uh, and so I'm teaching every day at all times uh, in Preston. Definitely. Um, now, sort of going off, like um, living here, everything. What's it like for um, your family to live there? Is it? Um, 
I guess something that they get used to, or is it? Um, I'm just kind of curious to see. Well, it's a it's think. a work in progress. It's an experiment, really. Um, so, uh, I have my wife and I uh, have two children, uh, ages four and eight. Uh, when I became principal, we had one child uh, who was three years old uh, at the time, and. Uh, so Joseph was born uh, during my first year in Preston. So it was really, a, he becomes a child of the community. Uh, they both thrived here. Uh, it's In some ways, uh, you begin to appreciate the position even more. And also, being in downtown urban Columbia, this is the, their playground. The Horseshoe is their backyard. Uh, and they've been able to make friends with a number of students around the community. Uh, they also, uh, my kids, develop programs. Um, uh, my daughter is the chair of what we call the cupcake brownie and coloring committee <laughs> uh, and so we do events around them and it usually is what they are really excited about but what we discovered is that very often the events that my children are really passionate about promoting are the ones that students and residents really flock to um, so it's really um, kind of a, a lifting moment to come in our building and to see 18 19 20 year olds sitting in the lobby coloring with a four a four-year-old and eight-year-old or having pizza or donuts or pancake night. Um, so I think for our, our, our residents, the older students in the building, having Ruby and Joseph is, is a really good and positive impact um, on the, their daily, daily life. I mean, one of the things we hope to do uh, in a place like Preston is uh, to provide some semblance of home. Uh, I'm, I'm always careful not to say I'm a dorm parent, but I am an adult in the building. Uh, and we try to create a, an atmosphere where everyone feels welcome, uh, everyone feels supported, um, and that we do our very best to make sure that the well-being of every student uh, is 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 um, something that's valued. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do you think? I know Preston offers a lot of different things, such as pea dining and different events. But overall, what do you think Preston? What makes Preston unique from everyone else? Is it the sense of community? Is it um, I just want to hear. I think it's, a, it's, it's multiple things, and it may mean what we offer may, to, may, may appeal to certain cohorts of our building. Uh, we are a community of 229 undergraduates from every major, every college. Uh, we are a community of that 229, about, uh, uh, about two-thirds are first-year students, and then you have a, a, a falling out of then of sophomores, juniors, and seniors. We also have three living graduate students. Um, so in addition to the P dining component where there's a built-in dining program where our residents and our faculty can come together on a week, nightly basis, there is also uh, shared courses in Preston. Um, so you can be a student in Preston and take an English 101 or English 102 course with your fellow residents, uh, kind of developing a, a familiar space in what is sometimes daunting uh, first-year classes. Uh, on, on occasions, we've had um, uh, classes where we've had 19 students in a history introduction, history, history course, when most students take that class in a large lecture hall of 300 students. Um, but beyond that, I think what also makes Preston unique is the model and the structure. Uh, as a residential college, we firmly believe that students are in the best position to create their own community and their own world. Uh, and we do our best to provide the space, the resources, and the support for our students to really create their undergraduate environment. Uh, we have a very strong student governance uh, that provides 
finances and uh, helps to encourage any resident in our building to take on a project. They're passionate about it. Typically, government will find the ways to make it happen, which is also quite exciting. Um, Many of our programs are shaped, planned, um, and supported by our student organizations, including our resident mentors and our present um, uh, ambassadors. Um, And so I think what really is the heart of our success uh, is that we have this tradition of innovation and a tradition of ownership. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we always say that Preston Residential College is not just a dorm, it's not a dormitory. Uh, It is much more more than that. It is a community, but it is a community that is created and sustained and in some ways transformed by the talented and amazing undergraduates who live in our in our building. Yeah, and I can definitely attest for that and being part of Hall Government, definitely everyone works really hard, even at what they do in every, you know, organization here. Yeah. The Def- other thing which I think makes that so in your member of government, uh, we are a community of leaders and, and we define leadership in all kinds of ways. So we have students who are leaders in the classroom, leaders in service, leaders in arts and culture leaders in student government, and that's within Preston and beyond. Um, and we're a community where people apply to be here. So every resident who lives in our building applied to be in our building, and those applications were read by the staff, but they were also read by re- residents. And the residents also sort of pass judgment and evaluate uh, the quality of students who live here. Um, so I think that is another unique feature of living here. It's not simply checking a box by housing. It is a process by which you apply and you really are vetted by your own peers. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> so um, kind of um, more of a particular moment. Um, what, what comes to mind when uh, maybe a certain activity that Preston does every year or something that you really enjoy that, you know, that kind of, you know, either is you know, kind of, kind of represents all what, you know, Preston is for, or, you know, kind of like your, your, your favorite event that, that they, um, put on here. Maybe that's yearly or something in particular that you remember that. Well, that's, it's a challenge and I'll, and I'll, 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 um, I'll cheat a little bit and give more than one example. Uh, what is most really exciting is, is move-in day because that is a day where you begin to put a face to an application or a face to how a student presents themselves on paper. Uh, and although I'm a historian, I'm in some ways like an engineer. And so you get these elements in our building. Uh, and I see part of my job is to sort of pull these pieces together uh, and to make them work well as best I can. And so from move-in day, you begin to really see students sort of develop and open up, become the unique individuals they are. Uh, and so we host a number of events in our community. And three things that stand out this past year where you see the seeds planted and ultimately they come to fruition. Um, one is literally our, our landscape and our gardening committee. Uh, Preston has a back garden, which was planted over tw- almost 20 years ago by residents. It has been maintained by those students uh, since the t- that time. Uh, and, the real see- and to see the real sense of ownership that our residents have in that space, uh, really making it a real attractive destination. Um, the same time, there are students who are really passionate about uh, books and scholarships. So we have a really strong Preston Literary Society that maintains our library. And in a few weeks, we'll be releasing a new Preston a literary magazine. And I just saw the galleys tonight 
uh, and it's going to be extraordinary. Um, and another event that will be happening is called Gatsby, and that's uh, near the end of April. It's our big final um, ball where we have an award ceremony and a very nice dinner. Uh, and that night, uh, we will have the uh, debut of a group called Prestones, which is a new acapella group that we just created this, this past semester. Uh, and it started by an application. Uh, one of our students, Derek from New Jersey, I believe, he, um, had, writ he had written in his application. He was involved in this group in, in New York, in New Jersey. I remembered this, and then when I met him uh, at my apartment for a breakfast one morning, we talked about it. And I said, it'd be great if you could create a group, uh, a singing group in Preston. And then months later, he had this great idea of a group called Prestones. Uh, I've heard them practice. They are phenomenal. Uh, and they will be debuting at our Gatsby uh, uh, annual banquet. Wow, that's great! So they've been they've been practicing really hard for their they debut. Have been, they here. have been, and I have the unique uh, privilege of having my office right in the main mm -hmm. hallway, so I see and, and hear mm -hmm. many of the things that are happening in the course of the building. And also, um, as faculty principal, um, I have office hours, and typically they're at night. Uh, I catch most students, and they're they're more readily available uh, in the in the evenings, and so. Generally on Tuesday nights, uh, I have office hours from about nine to midnight, sometimes beyond that, depending on how many folks stop by. Yeah. So um, what, what do you think your favorite part about your job that you do here? Um, anything, whether it's, you know, teaching or... Um... I think it's meeting uh, interesting people. I think I have a unique and really privileged position as a faculty member in that I am generally working in... Uh, in dialogue with students who are not in my classes. They're not taking my class for a grade. There is no expectation of a grade. And so it almost kind of lowers the sort of the, the defenses. And we're really able to kind of discover common interest. Uh, what I really enjoy most as a faculty member and as a principal in Preston is that every day is a learning opportunity for me. Uh, and I get a chance to dialogue with students who are from diverse backgrounds, bringing diverse perspectives. Um, just last night, students stopped by who is, uh, who is a, a strong champion of the college Republicans, and we were debating about public policy uh, as he was walking down the hallway mm -hmm. and who should be the commencement speaker for this year on campus. Uh, uh, and that would not have happened in my other role as professor in history department and, and in my office in Gambrell, uh, and certainly not on a regular basis as it does here. Yeah. Um, so moving on, as you mentioned, um, your professor... Um, of history. Um, so what do you uh, specialize in um, for, you know, what, what you teach? Well, I have a PhD uh, in American history um, that I received at Emory University. Um, I have particular interest in Southern history, um, African American history, intellectual history. Uh, I've taught courses on the American South. I've taught courses on uh, United States history from the Civil War to the present. Uh, I've taught a more recent course on the uh, uh, civil rights movement. I've taught graduate classes, uh, courses on religion, uh, and I'm work currently working on a project on African American intellectuals uh, in the American South uh, at the turn of the 20th century. And another public history project I'm doing presently is called Columbia SC 63. It's a, a project called Our Story Matters, and it's a collective effort to document the largely untold history of civil rights uh, in South Carolina and particularly here in Columbia. Okay. Um, so as you, uh, mentioned, um, your research, how did you get, um, started with, uh, Columbia 63? It really started, um, in really two ways. Uh, I've always taught courses on 
service learning and public history. And this is a great marriage where it brought together students who were interested in history, Southern history, civil rights history, but with some application. So part of our job was to take that history and then to make it accessible to a general public. Um, so we devised a rep website. Uh, we created a series of historic markers down Main Street that started at the State House and then all the way to City Hall. In fact, I just gave a tour for Preston residents about that um, this past Sunday. Uh, and much of that work that we now see on the website and that we now see on those markers came from the interchange I had with students over the course of several years. Uh, and also, I was invited to take the project on by the mayor of Columbia, Steve Benjamin, who was actually a Preston associate and a, and a colleague of mine. And he really wanted the broader public to know more about uh, the largely untold history in Columbia, uh, particularly as it intersects with the histories we know more widely uh, in places like Selma, Alabama, Montgomery, Memphis, Tennessee, and other places. Mm -hmm. um, has, have you found anything interesting that you came from your research or whether from if you interviewed people or uh, just kind of documents that you found that really surprised you? Or? It, it, it has uh, been really um, um, surprising and uh, enlightening to realize how much more there is for us to know. Um, in the course of the project, we've interviewed um, a number of people, uh, some of whom are now, now in their 70s, but who are young student leaders uh, in Columbia, who are largely students at Allen University and Benedict College, two historically African-American schools not far from our campus. Uh, and so I had a chance to really uh, work with them, to sit behind a microphone and to collect hours and hours of stories. Uh, also, uh, I spent a lot of time with some of my graduate students um, looking into the collection of the state newspaper and other photograph collections, looking for these images of civil rights demonstrations and protests in downtown Columbia and finding hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then trying to go through the, uh, the more difficult process of trying to put names to the faces of um, the events. And that's been really exciting to sort of sit in a room with large reproductions of these photographs um, and to have these stories coming, coming um, almost being recreated because so many, this was 50 plus years ago, so many people have largely forgotten those events and those episodes and they see these photographs and all of a sudden the button is pressed and these memories flow back uh, and we've been really fortunate to be able to record that mem those memories uh, and so we have the oral histories we have the photographs but something else that we've discovered is we have moving images and so one of our local television stations years ago gave canisters of film to our library and so, so for example on one canister and these are stacked up in uh, a storage facility, you could find one metal canister of a reel-to-reel, -reel, and it says Negro demonstrations. And so here we are as historians taking that reel, transferring the DVD, and then on big screen watching what looks like a Hollywood movie of events that we recognize immediately are downtown Columbia. And also because we already have the still shots, we know immediately who the persons are, we know where the places are. We almost can, can tell immediately uh, what's going on. And so some of the earliest sit-ins and demonstrations in Columbia, we have the memories of the participants, we have the still photographs, and we have moving footage. And when you pull that together, it is a really remarkable story that most people, if they even knew it existed or knew it had happened, they had never seen it. Yeah. Um, and that is what we've tried to recreate. And so when you go down Main Street now, you see photographs 
that, um, so for example, many of our students now know where the hub is. Well, the hub was on the same spot as the old Woolworths. Um, and that was a major site of demonstrations 50 years ago. Wow. So it's kind of like uh, piecing together the puzzles, like of these pictures and stories and kind of getting them all together to find out, you know, what these people's stories and what they had to go through. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it serves as a history lesson, too. I mean, it, it, first of all, it, it tells important historical details. It shows the role of Columbia in this broader national movement. Uh, it shows major figures that we recognize. I can show you photographs of Robert Kennedy on our campus in 1963, I can show you pictures of Martin Luther King Jr. in downtown Columbia in 1959. I can show you some great photographs of Malcolm X in downtown Columbia in April of 63. And these were photographs which had never been seen before by the general public, and now they're readily available. Wow, definitely a uh, great project you have going on there. Um, I guess uh, moving um, sort of on that sense, um, I just want to ask you, I know this is probably like uh, asking what your favorite child is, but what do you think your uh, favorite part of history is? Just um, favorite time period or, um, you know, during whatever events happened? Well, it would probably be the 1940s where you see this real sea change in American culture led by the uh, World War II. uh, And you see uh, real shifts in power and influence. Um, as I do my own research about the civil rights movement, you begin to see important seeds planted. In the 1940s, you see soldiers coming home uh, who have fought for democracy abroad, who are now saying, where is it now, here, at home? And they're beginning to organize and beginning to seek redress um, and beginning to mobilize. Um, and so where we, whereas we know about the important and pivotal events of the 1960s, to kind of see those seeds becoming... Um, maturing earlier uh, in decades, I think, is really important. <clears throat> One surprising um, incident, many people know about the famous um, and brave work of Rosa Parks in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955. But very few people know that 17 months before that a similar episode happened in Columbia, where a 19-year-old woman named Sarah Mae Fleming um, refused to leave her seat on a bus in downtown Columbia. And then when she ultimately decided to depart from the bus, she went toward the front and she was um, punched in the stomach by a bus driver. But when she ultimately gets off the bus, Sarah Mae Fleming files charges of discrimination against the bus driver uh, in 1954. And her, the, her, her lawsuit, Sarah Mae Fleming versus the SENG, ultimately becomes a case cited in the later case of Rosa Parks in Alabama in 1955. Miss um, Fleming never sought the limelight. She never received the, the due attention she, was, she deserved, but she set an important foundation for Rosa Parks and many others who followed thereafter. Yeah, definitely. And I think this whole sense of like the 1950s and how like there was kind of like a fake happiness going around where everybody was kind of happy. And well, I guess it was kind of like how they perceived it on the media or television. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's this great book called Lies My Teacher Told Me. Uh, and it's one of these notions that many of us are shaped, our, our understanding of history is shaped by the textbooks that we were taught. And those textbooks tell us that the 1950s was the age of consensus. I mean, it was leave it to beaver without any, any tension, without any dysfunction in society. And, but what I enjoy about teaching is 
uh, I, I, I offer these correctives and here is the evidence. Like I, I certainly have my own editorial comments, but here are the sources that show you that there was great uneasiness in our nation. There was pronounced inequity in our nation. And these were the steps taken by citizens um, to resolve those problems uh, that were facing the country. Yeah, definitely. Um, so in uh, January of this year, um, you were selected to speak at uh, TEDx um, Columbia. Um, could you tell me how like that experience was and uh, what it was, was your... It was nerve-wracking yeah. and, and exciting at the same time. And here was an occasion where I was asked, uh, you have a, what is your great, your brilliant idea? How do you tell it and sell it to a general audience? And how do you do it in 15 to 18 minutes? So as a professor, you know, we are, I either teach for 50 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes. And so here I was asked to take a big project and boil it down. But it was exciting because I had to go through rehearsals and sort of time myself and rethink some of my basic, basic assumptions about my topic. Uh, and it was really uh, an exciting moment because ultimately I was decided it was it was decided uh, that I would be the last speaker, and so literally I had to sit through some amazing presentations um, uh, until that last hour when I was called up and the lights go on. Um, and as much as I had rehearsed, uh, it 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 was not as I had practiced or imagined it. It turned out great, um, and um, I think it provoked a lot of thinking about uh, not only history, but also about our own capacity to be change agents and our own capacity to be owners and stewards of the world around us. And that was my take-home message was that this was history. These were people who dared to believe they could, they could change the world around them. And hopefully the lessons that you heard today, you can take with you into whatever arena uh, that you pursue. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that sounds like it was a definitely an amazing experience that you got to have and you got to, you know, leave impact on everybody there. Um, so kind of my... And, and what, I should say, yeah. too, that sometimes you don't know the impact. Um, yeah. So I did my event. There was applause. The uh, lights went down. The curtain closed. I come back to campus and continue my work. And then weeks later, I'm at a local coffee shop and the young lady behind the cash counter we're chatting. She looked at me again. She said, are you Donaldson? I said, some days. And she um, said, I saw you at TEDx. Thank you so much. Uh, and again, you sort of do these things and they are what they are. And you sometimes don't fully understand the impact of the legacy that those things leave. Yeah, definitely. Um, so kind of a one final question here. Um, uh, kind of leading back to whole um whole of kind of pressing and um you know your job in uh, research and um you know professor's history um what do you think your uh goals are for both of them in the upcoming academic year of you know f next fall and uh spring well i think it's to continue doing what we're doing um i always say that Preston stands for four pillars knowledge community responsibility and passion and those are the pillars that hold up our community of leadership. And But what I think is our greatest tradition is innovation. And so I'm always looking for the new idea, uh, the new pro program, the new event that we can put on and not put on simply because we want something new, but because we want to keep the momentum going. Um, and so I'm looking forward. Uh, right now, we're beginning to review uh, new applications for our entering class. Um, there are some really strong prospects. And so you, you see them on paper and you just wait in anticipation for the summer to pass and for those students to come. I'm hopeful that we can continue to develop new classes uh, for our residents. 
Um, and that also we can be uh, a, a sort of conduit for our students to begin to see the world and to see Columbia and to see different aspects of it and to make those opportunities available. Uh, and for myself as a, as a teacher and as a scholar, I wanna keep writing. Uh, I wanna keep bringing in students and opening their eyes to the world. I wanna keep building an important uh, civil rights uh, collection uh, on our campus um, so that they, these, these items become teaching tools so that we make sure that we preserve the papers, the photographs, and the correspondence of civil rights participants so that those stories can continue and that they can be documented in the future. Well, um, I just wanted to say thank you um, to Dr. Bobby Donaldson, um, my guest. Of He's uh, an associate uh, professor of history at the University of South Carolina and uh, uh, in faculty principal at the Preston Residential College. So I thank you for um, sitting down and talking to me about what you do. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure.